Hey team, welcome to episode 19 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So part of our everyday life is playing matchmaker and psychologist. I bet you're surprised by that. Talking to a buyer or seller, talking them off a ledge is part of our job description and we get it. These transitions, they're emotional. Uh, And our role is to try and remove some of that emotion and show you when they're trying to pull one over on you and when they're not, when you're just making that up in your head. They are dealing with the same emotions you are, just from a different perspective. So today we're going to dive into all of the feels. Emotion day. Emotion day. (laughs) My house with two girls. It's the best. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing wonderful. We've been on the road together, girl. We have. We've spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Well, normally it's like at the office, but we did a little road road travel show here recently. So we just got back from AACD. I know. In San Diego. I know. You killed it, girl. Thanks. You too. We packaged all these emotions and all of these (laughs) relationships into a new lecture that we just recently gave on uh, transitioning your practice. And we did it in a very difficult environment. And that environment was transitioning a cosmetic practice, which is could be 10 or 20 years or 30 years of CE to some, you know, a newer person. So one of the more difficult practices to transition. So we did the AACD and I meant, I thought we'd killed it. We got some good feedback. It was really fun. It was so fun to do that with you. You are clearly an expert on the <laughs> stage. And so it was super fun. And that organization, everyone we met there, amazing. Just top of their game. Yeah. And, and listen, young people, I'm telling you, you know, from a GP standpoint, if you want to be associated with some just drivers, I can't tell you, I've been in this game for 20 years, and the number of people I met, established doctors, and every one of them are coming up to me going, yeah, I got a million five, million seven, I got a $2 million practice that they run by themselves. This organization clearly knows what they're doing, yep. and so try to get associated with practices like that or associations like that so that when you do come across these practices in that type of area that clearly they're ready for you. Yep. One thing they're not different on. What's that? They got some emotion. (laughs) So we all got issues. So one of the things we're going to talk about today, um, we're going to go through kind of the most common gripes that we hear. Okay. And these are all from a buyer's perspective, but buyers do not feel bad because we get the same thing on the seller side. It's just, we're taking this from a buyer's perspective today. So we're going to go through five or six. We hear often, we hear every day, depending on where we are in the process and some things that you can do to maybe put the shoe on the other foot and think about the other side or how you can maybe try to kind of remove some of that emotion and think logically about some of these pieces and hopefully avoid some of this in the future. So let's get going. The number, I would say one thing that we talk about when, especially in a transition of a partnership where I'm going to buy out maybe after a year or two associateship is the buyer saying, when are we going to value this? Because I don't want to buy back my own production and I feel like I'm overpaying for something that I helped grow. Right, right. We love this. You have to really figure out where you are in this relationship with this doctor. And so let's go to examples and actually we'll tie the AACD back to this. So if you're a D4 coming into some type of high-end cosmetic practice and you are actually trying to say what the practice valued before you get there, it's just crazy. I mean, you're going to be a mentor. You know, I'd rather have you as a guaranteed salary looking over somebody's shoulder and being able to be to be mentored and hopefully that practice to grow. And the reverse side is the guy or gal that's been out for, you know, 10 or 15 years that had all of that training that maybe even was the extreme of a business owner 
that was in California that maybe went back to rural West Virginia and there was a nice GP practice and then you're going to bring that clinical skill set to him or her, yeah, sure, I can make that argument that if we're guiding the two of you through this transition, sure, that we would value that practice beforehand because you're going to bring this amazing clinical skill set to that area. And so I get it. You could be the GPR resident with this skill set going back to an area that's rural. You could be a pediatric dentist. You could be a periodontist or a surgeon. There are some certain times that we certainly would say, hey, we can value this business before, but I'd say for the most part, this is so emotional, Christy. Yeah. And I think first, if you think it from a buyer and I think about it from a seller's perspective, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but there is a cost and there is an investment and there is a right. risk of bringing on someone and whether or not in most cases you're you're helping them build their schedule, you're giving them patience, you're, you're financially in, investing in their progress in your office, and they deserve to get some of the benefit back of you and increase, see a little bit of an increase in their value. So so I think that there can be a compromise here. It doesn't have to be two years, three years after you start that it's valued. Right. And we'll talk about that later in this episode. But I do think that you have to consider what you're bringing to the table and what the seller is doing to kind of get you up to speed if you're in a normal situation. The other thing, too, is on the valuation. Obviously, there's a cost involved to the senior doctor. I don't mind the senior doctor being at risk here and investing in that process. But the other thing, too, is just to see, let's just take a million-dollar practice. Let's say it grew. Let's say it grew to a million, too. We're not just taking that million, two or million, right. five number at the end of 16 months or 18 months when this thing's going to happen. We're not just going to take that number and multiply it by some 85% number. When we value businesses, remember, we're going to take this income model approach. We're going to look at the last several years and certainly that last year is important and we're going to certainly wait that, but it's not like you're growing this number and it's just, we're just going to go from one to 1.8. Right. Exactly. So value clearly has an emotional tug for people. Another thing, and I'm going to move on okay. to gripe number two, the, another thing that we hear, and so just give you a little background before I get here, because this will help explain what I see. So when a buyer comes to us and they say, hey, I have this opportunity, what do you think? And we set up this complimentary call and we walk them through, here's a big picture what we see, and either it's a don't mess it up or it's a here's some things we want to know more about, and then they choose to engage us. Right, And at that point, they come to us and we do a more full financial analysis and our analyst team kind of works on that and we dig into the numbers and we put in a letter of intent. And then usually at that letter of intent stage or when we get the legal documents, there's always some term that just people cannot get rid of. Either the seller or the buyer kind of stick on it. And it's usually immaterial, not going to say it's always immaterial, but usually it's something that in the big scheme of things doesn't matter and they get stuck on it. Mm -hmm. The thing, the one thing that drives me crazy is the non-compete. Just one thing, Chris? Well, you okay. know, today. Okay. The non-compete. The non-compete is very important. Yes. Do not mishear me. The non-compete is you're protecting your goodwill. It should be standard. It should be enforceable. All of these things. Let me give you an example. So I had a buyer who was buying a practice in, let's say, Dallas, super urban area. And the standard non-compete in Texas is generally three years, 15 miles, right? Had the three years, 15 miles, totally fine with that. And they wanted 
a five-year, 25-mile non-compete. We had already agreed on three years and 15 miles, and they had just been thinking about it. Now the legal documents were back. They had had some colleagues like, oh, no, you definitely need to have something bigger than that. And so we had these conversations, and they were really stuck on it. I said, look, that's not standard. That's not really what should be, but if you want to propose it, we can propose it, but I know we're going to get pushed back on that. And so we propose it and the seller's broker comes back and says they don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And we talk, you know, because hopefully you are representative as a buyer and the representative of the seller have a good relationship and they talk. And he said, look, there is zero plans of this doctor to do anything. He has he has nothing in the works. He's just nervous. He's been doing this for 50 years. And he just says, how the heck am I going to know what's going to happen five years from now? He's totally willing to commit to whatever standard, but he just doesn't want to do anything beyond that. And I get that. So I go back to the buyer and I kind of try to talk them into this and they're really stuck on it. And it took a good amount of time. I mean, they almost walked the deal for not, you know, walked away from a $300,000 net after debt service because of this one piece. We work with sellers and I hear that. And so I tried to explain that to them that it's a super common concern of a seller to say, hey, I have zero plans. And we'll tell a seller, you know, if you're trying to negotiate a non-compete from 15 miles to 12 miles, that's a red flag. Any buyer is going to be like, why are they wanting to shorten it by three miles? Do they already have a plan to open or go practice somewhere? Another thing to consider is, is a non-compete enforceable, right? Most likely that 25-mile non-compete that buyer wanted may not have even been enforceable, and then that doesn't protect either party. So we would tell you not to get hung up on some of these things, not to get hung up on Again, not that the non-compete's not important, it is, and there are times when it's a red flag if they're not willing to agree to what's standard, but it's not something I'm going to say, hey, walk away from this cash flow and this great opportunity in this really competitive area for. So just the emotion side here is just that the patients, call them the 2,000 active patients that, that come and saw, let's say, established doctor for 25 years, and all of a sudden you take over the practice, I get there being the nervousness on your side that are they going to accept you? And the answer is yes, they just do. We've done this so long and we just know that you're nervous about it, but they accept you. And the fact that their car, I always give this example is when I go to this practice, I park in the same spot, I walk in the same place, I go to the left, I brush my teeth right there, I walk in and I'm a hygienist, I wave on the way out the door and they bill me and everything just works. And I hate to say this, but if my dentist retires dies, become disabled, the next guy takes over, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. I, I hate to say yeah, that. I'm just going to keep going to the same spot because I'm very comfortable. And so if you've got three years in this example in the practice, let's probably not freak out about that the 62-year-old is looking to drop his, I don't know, non-compete from 15 to 10 or you know whatever it is in a, in a big area. The 10 miles could be in a Seattle, and that could be I don't know, with traffic, 25 minutes. Patients are not going to sit in traffic for 25 minutes when there's a dentist every other quarter mile. Now, maybe in a rural area and maybe a specialist, I get it. That's maybe a little bit different here. So we just need to look at the overall picture and say, Mm -hmm. what's the pushback here on this non-compete? And does this make sense? The bottom line, when it's a multi-million dollar or it's a really good financial opportunity, let's get past it. Yep, absolutely. Another thing that we talk about, are we here? I'm going to let you take this, but I'm going to tell you what we hear. Associates who are frustrated, and maybe they're frustrated by what we're about to talk about, but they're frustrated. And what we hear is seller is making so much money off of me. Right. So much money. (laughs) 
<laughs> what do we tell that seller or what do we tell that buyer? Yeah, the, the first of all, is they just need, they need a plan. So we use this example in lecture all the time. It's just developing a break-even for that associate. So, for example, I'm working with a senior doctor that I want to make sure that they're educated, that if we hire this associate, and let's say this associate is getting paid, for, uh, like from a D4 standpoint, uh, $7,500 a month. What I'd want to do is do a financial analysis for them, and this is a service we provide for our senior doctors. And we also help you young doctor to kind of look into the practice to make sure this makes sense for you if you're going into the practice. But we'd want to make sure that we look at your comp. We'd want to be able to look at, are we going to need to add an assistant? We'd want to be able to look at, is there going to be some capital improvements this practice might have to make? Are they going to need to add chairs five and six? Are they bringing on a consultant in this practice? You'd have to be able to look at the historic numbers of what the true direct costs are. The true, true direct costs will be your dental supplies with your lab, your office supplies. You'd want to be able to break this fixed costs and direct costs down to a very simplistic number. And what we're able to do is take a look at these numbers from an accounting standpoint and say, hey, to break even on this associate at 7500 bucks a month, you're really going to need to hit $15,000 a month to cover that assistant, maybe those capital improvements, and those true direct costs. So just to show you what it would feel like is the young doctor is, uh, the practice is doing eighty grand a month when he gets there, she gets there, and now it's doing $95,000 a month. And the associate size is like, this guy or gal's freaking pocketing 7500 bucks a month on me. And that's why he or she got the new car out front. They're getting the pool done. At that point, you know, the opposite is I finally freaking broke even on this associate. I've actually yep. lost money. As a matter of fact, we're going to hire a practice management consultant to really grow this thing. We're investing in some marketing after the six month or the nine month. So I may have broke even now, but I'm going to put another two or $3,000 a month to really drive this thing from not 95 collections a month, but 120 to 140 to meet our transition goals. So you clearly have to be on the same page because when you're not from a financial standpoint, you're clearly just feeling like the other is winning in this relationship. And clearly they may be losing. Yeah. And we have an example that we use in lecture. And so we'll put that on our site so that you can see what that is. But I think another point to share here is that if a buyer thinks that what has likely failed is you as a seller or you as the senior doctor have not shared what that break even is with the associate. That feeling of you're making so much money off me only comes when we haven't been transparent over the investment we're making and the cost that it takes to bring you on. And so if you failed in that communication, if that is what you're hearing or that is the feeling you're getting from your associate. And so if you're thinking of bringing on an associate, highly, highly recommend understanding what your break even is. And if you don't know how to do that, it's something that we can help you with. Yeah, and I think there too is the emotion side says, I want to bring somebody in. Yeah. I'm tired. I feel like this. I feel like Mm -hmm. that. But if they don't have a financial break even and and we can look at that and show them what they're going to need to do to invest in this practice, Mm -hmm. are the numbers going to support this associate, you know, yes or no? And a lot of times we build relationships with these established doctors, but we never enter into a formal relationship because they're not ready. They're just not there. And many times, 
we will, and we'll tell them they may be things to do to grow the practice. Yeah, and we'll hear, you know, never make any money off of an associate. An associate is a waste of time. Right. Well, probably is if you're not going to invest in them and you don't want to grow. I exactly. would agree with you, right? But they can be profitable, and that can be a good relationship on both sides if you're doing it right. So when we were lecturing at the AACD, I don't know if you remember, we had the grumpy old man. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's like, associates just don't work. And my reply back, I thought was very quick. <laughs> I understand that. I said, sir, uh, are you married? And just big, happy smile, 35 years of successful marriage, he responded back. I was like, so clearly you know that half the population has failed marriages, but does that mean that no one's going to remarry and marriage is not good? It just means that you failed or just maybe the people that you're associating with Mm -hmm. failed in their associateship. So clearly, if there is a plan, you've done your due diligence in this process on marriage, in this case, a dental marriage, Mm -hmm. you can get it done. So again, just surround yourself with good proven team to get this thing done. Very good segue, Loretto. (laughs) The gripe number four, and man, I think we hear this at least once a week on both sides. Get a call and someone is saying, hey, I am in a practice. We've talked about buy-in. I've been here four years. Nothing. Nothing's happening. And then our first question back to them is always, well, what did you talk about before you started? And generally, that is nothing. Right. And that's the failure. And we talked about this a bit in our associateship episode of what to consider when you're creating an associateship. And I think I'll caveat this by saying nothing that we're going to agree upon in any kind of associate agreement is legally binding on either party. But again, it opens lines of communication. It ensures from the very beginning that we're on the same page. And I'm going to let you talk about a success. But first, I'm going to give you an example of said person who we talk to once a week. And you can insert any town and any male, female age, doesn't matter. So talking to a gentleman this week, we'll call him John. He had graduated and had this discussion with a practice in his hometown. He was going to go back. They were really excited for him to come. And eventually it'll turn into a partnership. And that's all that was really discussed. Not when, not how much, not what we're going to value, not what type of sale, not what's your plan for growth, just like all the good feels. So he's there and he's working and he likes the potential selling doctor and likes them, but it's been four years and he started trying to talk about a buy-in at year two and they'll talk about it and then it'll be like, yeah, 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 we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to contact my CPA and we'll, we'll get that done. Uh, yeah, we're going to do that over and over and over again until there's just a level of frustration now with John who he's just done now, right? Right. But now he has this four years of history, so he's really torn. Do I go and explore other opportunities? I've listened to all your podcasts. Do I do a letter campaign? Do I not? Do I stay? And that's a hard decision, right? Because we always say you have to like and love the practice. So it's a balance of do I stay with this or do I now go and try to explore and start over because I know that ownership is where I want to be after four years. I am ready and I want that cash flow and I want those opportunities. So we're in a tough position when you call at that point because we can't help you go back in time and agree upon some of those things. And so we just kind of have to coach and sort through what the right issues are there. And so I cannot stress enough on the front end, do your diligence and do your homework. And you have a really good example of when we've done that historically. Yeah. Let me just expand on John. I have literally in the last 20 years spoken to not hundreds, but well over a thousand John stories. You hear emotion when we speak 
uh, both in these podcasts and, and then out in the you know, the dental arena. And it's emotional for me because the Johns of the world, maybe they associated for a couple of years and then they went to go back to this town. They did four years and then they're frustrated and that leads to five years. And I don't know, maybe it's part of John's problem. Maybe John was like, well, we had our second child and third child. And then maybe a senior doctor that maybe they're getting divorced. Maybe the economy is down. Maybe a big employer. And this is just, just long stretch out bunch of excuses. And so neither party was really forcing the hand. And so eventually it fails. And eventually John gets upset and he goes to start a practice from scratch. And John is now seven years in deal before he makes a you know million dollars of collection, seven years in before he's a true owner making 400000 John is in his mid-40s. And it's just, I cannot tell you that's not the route we're going to go because we're missing out on the time as far as our wealth accumulation. We're missing on the time of the equity and the tax planning, the pension planning. And so we just need to have a clear plan of attack. And so that segues us into an example of one of my established doctors we're working with engaged us a little over five years ago. We laid out the plan for this resident. The resident comes into practice. We have a clear cut plan of how we're going to pay him. Uh, We paid him, I think in this example, $10,000 a month. We gave him goals as far as on an incentive or anything over X dollar amount. He got 30%. We eventually moved it up to a higher percentage. We gave him target goals. And when the practice hit certain milestones, you know, he would buy in. Fast forward, not only have they become partners, but now the business, they built a new building. They've acquired another practice. We're doing well over two and a half million dollars and we're bringing in the next guy. The next guy we just signed the associate agreement with. Guess what we did? We laid out clear transition goals for this buyer. The transition goals, again, what we like to put in our associate agreements, they're not binding, but again, it's a commitment between our senior doctor and our buying doctor that we're on the same page and we've got timelines to basically get this thing done. It's an advantage to you, buyer, to hold that senior doctor a little bit more accountable to say, look, we both agreed on this date, this signature that we would do this by this date. Here we are three months before or three months or one year after, and I've got to make a good decision for me and my family. So it's very, very important to have that team. And one of the things I want to put on our blog this week is not just the break-even calculation that Chrissy just talked about, but I want to put the importance of having a good transition team in place. What I'll talk about is the personal financial plan. Obviously, when we speak, we always talk about the importance of the financial plan. Typically, somebody that can help you with personal financial planning from a guidance standpoint, that's really important. Can they afford to bring you in? I love practice management consultants, somebody that that could be somebody like us or somebody that a practice management that can be in the practice to help you grow it, but clearly lay out those defined goals. Dental specific attorneys to help you with the legal documents to guide you through this process. The dental CPA is certainly another key component of this process. They can understand the tax implications, both from the buyer and seller. And then really the dental transition consultant, where I feel that that's our niche here at NDP is to be able to guide both the buyers and sellers through this. And so when we work with both buyers and sellers, we always work on a flat fee so that we don't have that maybe feel that we're working, quote unquote, for the seller, for the buyer, and and it's all about them. We're truly trying to guide them or you through this process so that you both feel represented. And basically, don't let these emotions, Christy, don't let the emotions ruin a beautiful, beautiful thing. And don't let the emotions of your non-dental specific 
team yes. ruin the deal. Nothing will make me have a bigger eye roll than the someone who has no dental experience and is going to come in and try to mess up your deal. Can so, you, Can you share the story about the one this week about the person that has business experience? Oh, yes. I got an email <laughs> from someone and they said, my friend is going to help us. They have business experience and no joke was real late at night and I'm on the couch and I told my husband and I was like, holy moly, like someone has business experience. This is going to be super problematic. Like nothing bothers me more. And there's a lot of business experience out there. You can spell business. You work in a business. And clearly super intelligent people, right? But this dental world is so niche and it's so different than any other transition of any other business that exists. So man, dental specific, like please. If you're working with me, please, dental specific. <laughs> yeah, the guy or gal that was in a totally different field is like going off about, well, clearly we need to look at the EBITDA calculation for, for this practice. And, and They literally just looked at the profit and loss and said, it looks like the business was operating at a loss of $27,000. Right. Like right. no normalization process happened at all. This is when Christy comes in and says, Charles, shoot me. I cannot believe. This is my emotion. You want to talk about emotion. <laughs> So we'll talk about five really quick. I just want to touch on this. Um, Great number five is when a buyer comes to me and says, you know, I really want the seller to have some skin in the game. They need to do some seller finding. I think that will make them committed to me being successful. And I logically totally understand where you're coming from. But two things. If I represented a seller and most CPAs represented a seller, they're going to say, why in the world would you do that? That is risk. You can get probably a better interest rate at this point. As a buyer, you can probably go out and get a better interest rate at this point on a better term. And then I always go back to this, and this is kind of emotional too, but don't you want a seller who is committed to your success without having a financial incentive to be committed to your success? Like if they have to have, like carry a financial note to be committed to making you successful, that might be problematic. So I just think that it's not necessary. And from a seller's perspective, they know you can go out and get financing or they should know you can go out and get financing. You're buying a business. Most of the time when they started from scratch, they didn't have anyone kind of doing that piece of it. So don't be surprised and don't look at it as if they're not committed to you if they say no to seller financing. Some sellers are open to it and they want to do it for whatever reason. Totally fine. If sure. it works for you, we can, we can make this work in a lot of different ways, but don't see that as a red flag and don't get caught up in the emotion of that. The skin in the game thing is not always the best solution. Yeah, the only time we typically see it is that it really makes financial sense for both buyer and seller. Maybe in a father, mother, like just a family relationship, they might want to do that. Again, they're financially set and they just choose to do that. Or there are times that the bank will require a small portion. Yeah, bank it. requiring it is yep. a different ball game than yep. just, I think it's better than third-party financing. Yep. Okay, gripe six. This is a big one. We do hear this a lot, usually in the associate to partner type of situation. I'm a buyer. I'm not getting the new patients. All the patients really want to see me, or he's getting the good production, he right. or she, or and I'm only getting the bad production. What do we say to that? So again, you got to do due diligence before you get in these practices. And so there are just times where it makes financial sense 
that this practice is going to take off some million, two million, three practice, 50 new patients a month. You're getting there. This issue is not coming up like where he or she's getting all the new patients. It's just like you're both just cranking out a ton of dentistry. It's amazing. It's when we see these smaller practices that can't support you. Maybe it's a billion dollars and there's 10 new patients a month. Then you're kind of looking at each other. And we're okay when we see these practices that maybe it's a staggered cell or we're going to do this over a two or three year period. But what we want to consider here is we probably don't need the associate there four days a week. We're probably just going to have the associate there for maybe one day a week or two days a week until we can allow that transition to happen, until we can allow maybe some of the marketing efforts and changes in that practice to get from 10 or 20 new patients a month to the 30 or 40. And then the goal I would say here is that we want to see the associate busy every single day they're there. So that's two days a week, great. Three days a week, four days Senior doctors, the key thing is keeping them busy. The key thing is getting them, typically would say 75% of all new patients would go to them, but I'd also say 25% of the best new patients, young doctors, are going to go to the established doctor. Our goal is big cases, we do a really good new patient exam and really good new patient screening over the phone or screening through new patient application process, uh, new patient forms that we know who these maybe bigger cases are going to be with. And let's load it up with the senior guy or gal and put them in a room, lock them up. And then that way you've got the ability to meet all the new patients that are coming in as well as all the established hygiene patients so that we can make you successful. And remember, the growth of the practice benefits both of you if you're going to be a partner. Yeah, the key there, I think, is just buyer, you want to be busy. And you want to have a plan of attack. So it goes back to that. What is our plan? Being realistic about our goals. How busy can you really keep an associate? And just understanding kind of what your practice is and what it's not and what you're willing to do on the front end. So, man, I'm just thinking of all these other emotional things I want to talk about, but we don't have time. Like there may need to be a second installment of this. I'm with you. Man, I thought numbers made me happy, but I guess it's emotion. So hopefully this has shown you that there are definitely two sides to every story. There's a lot of emotion that comes in here. And I think that being transparent and opening those lines of communication can hopefully reduce some of that misunderstanding or misinformation, clear goals, clear communication, and knowing that the emotion is real. This is an emotional process for both of you. It's a big financial decision. And so think with your head, not with your heart all the time and rely on your team to guide you. And we know that you will be successful. So any last thoughts? Amazing job. (laughs) Remember (laughs) to subscribe to Transition Talk on, we're everywhere now, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And as always, like us on Facebook or LinkedIn. Have a great week. Until next time. See you guys.